This is Living With the End in Mind, the COVID Conversations. I'm Kathy Worzer. We begin with the latest on the COVID-19 outbreak. Minnesota's number of known cases is now more than 1,000. They jumped from 986 yesterday to 1,069 today, an increase of 83. In Missouri, there are now more than 3,700 confirmed cases and 87 deaths due to coronavirus. In Illinois, the total number of cases shot Here's up to more than what's happening today in the fight against the coronavirus. There are currently 4,500 cases in southeast Texas with 65 deaths and more than 700 recoveries. The Daily White House... The latest overnight in the battle against the coronavirus. Here are the top headlines you need to know. Minnesota had its largest jump of coronavirus deaths yesterday. 11 more people lost their battle, bringing the death toll to 50. Right now, the total number of confirmed cases is 1,200. The fight against the coronavirus in the metro is ramping up. The figures can get numbing. Numbers of people confirmed to have the virus in the hospital or dead. Behind each statistic, there is a person, and that often gets forgotten. As COVID-19 started sweeping the country, Melissa Jones found herself among the virus's victims. Jones, a healthy 50-year-old from Minneapolis, Minnesota, has fought the virus for weeks. In that time, the single mother of two girls has had to deal with some terrifying symptoms and frightening thoughts. Melissa's battle with the virus started in mid-March. I'll let her pick up the story from there. I had finished up a really long project at work and had basically come home on my own for the rest of the week to sort of rest up and catch up and kind of was wondering what was going to be happening with my work status. This is, of course, before, right before everything started shutting down and people were being sent home and all that. So I finished up my project. I came home. The next day I woke up and was puttering around my house and I wasn't feeling great, but I had just done this long project, which I do regularly at my job. And when I finish these projects, I'm always a little run down. My nose is a little runny. My throat is a little sore. So I didn't really think anything of it that I was feeling anything but just worn out. So I went about my day. I took a nap in the afternoon, which is kind of unusual for me. I'm not a napper. But I took this nap and I woke up shortly before dinner time and I, I felt not well. And it was not what I was used to experiencing if I get sick, you know, after getting worn down with a project or something like that. So I woke up on the couch and thought, huh, I still have the runny nose that I had. My throat's now a little bit more sore, but I feel like I have some pressure on my chest and I'm coughing. I've got a dry cough now. And I had been informed the day before by my employer that someone that I worked with had been what they were calling presumed positive with COVID. So mm-hmm. this individual hadn't gone into the doctor, but they had called in, they gave their symptoms and the doctor said, sounds like COVID. And so then due diligence, my employer contacted me and said, you may have had fairly close contact with this individual, but we're not sure. And I didn't know who the person was. So I couldn't determine for myself who it was. And I thought, huh. Well, I last saw this person more than a week before. Well, that couldn't be it. And I hadn't really gone anywhere except, you know, the grocery store and stuff. So maybe, maybe not. I thought, well, I'm just going to let it ride and see what happens. I'll wake up in the morning and see how I'm feeling. So I hung out with my kids. We watched some TV. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and I felt lousy. I, I felt like somebody was pressing their hand down in the middle of my chest. The dry cough was there. I wasn't running a temperature, which I thought was interesting. And everything I had read at that point, this is March 20th. At that point, 
I hadn't read anything about that. You could have it without a fever. It was sort of like, that was the calling card of us. Hmm. So I called my clinic and said, I think I might have the symptoms of COVID. And what was really interesting was right then and there, the nurse said, I'm not talking to you. I mean, almost literally, that's what she said. I'm not talking to you. You need to go and do an online assessment, which right away was just weird for me. I have two kids. I'm a clinic pro. (laughs) You know, I'm regularly dealing with a clinic with either myself or my kids. So for the nurse to not take the time to walk through the symptoms, maybe see if I need an appointment, maybe suggest I go to urgent care to immediately be told, I'm not going to talk with you about your symptoms. I'm not even going to entertain the idea of getting you in here. I want you to go online and just deal with it there. So that's what I did. Wow. I went online and I did an assessment, pretty thorough one. And then I got a note that said, we're really busy. We will probably get back to you tomorrow. I thought, wow, that's unheard of. You know, I'm used to getting care like right away. So I put in my online assessment. And in the meantime, one of my kids, I have two daughters, a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. My 15-year-old was exhibiting the same symptoms that I was. I think maybe more than for me, that was alarming because everything I had heard up to that point too was, oh, kids are fine. You know, it's why they delayed closing the schools because they kept saying, oh, you know, kids might carry it, but they won't show any symptoms or, you know, they're not really going to get sick if they get sick at all. And she was, she was not doing so hot. She was feeling the same way I was. And so that was kind of alarming. I'm going to assume that you were not tested because at this point, it sounds like your healthcare provider was doing some other things. Did they ever suggest getting a test? No. So that was the other piece of this that was interesting. I submitted my online assessment in the morning and I got a phone call at 10 to midnight (laughs) from a number I didn't recognize. And I thought, uh, I don't normally answer those, but I'll play. I'm going to answer this. And here was a nurse who was calling because she had read my assessment and was concerned enough by the symptoms I was presenting to reach out to call me. And we walked through all the symptoms again. She asked me things like, had I had a flu shot, which I did. She checked to see if I was exhibiting any other flu-like symptoms, which I wasn't. So it was kind of this process of elimination. Well, you have this, you don't have this, you have this, you don't have this. And after the conversation, she said, well, from everything you're telling me, it sounds like you have COVID. So I'm going to call you presumed positive because we are not testing anybody and tests are not available. But she said, you know, that doesn't really matter necessarily because right now you just need to treat the symptoms at home anyway. So I'm going to email to you a list of the things that you should be doing for yourself, the things you should be watching out for, and let us know if you have any problems or if your condition worsens and, and you need some support. Did your condition worsen? Yeah, it did. I went along for uh, almost a week. So that was on a Friday. I was presumed positive. And over the next few days, it got progressively worse, but I just felt more and more lousy. I never did run a temperature, which was interesting. And I took my temperature (laughs) constantly. Anytime I felt the slightest bit warm, I checked my temperature. And the same with my daughter. We never ran a temp. But the pressure on my chest increased. It just felt like somebody had the butt of their hand just pressing right down in the center of my chest. Could you breathe? Could you breathe? Um, yeah, I could. So that was kind of the, the test for myself. And I had read some stuff online of, you know, making sure you could still get enough air. And my little personal test for myself was, could I fill my lungs? So I would 
take a deep breath and okay, good. I can fill my lungs. Now that didn't mean necessarily, I felt like I was getting enough air or oxygen. Oftentimes I didn't feel like I was, but I sort of reassured myself that everything was okay because I could take it. I could fill my lungs with a breath, but it would hurt to do that. And I was getting pain in the center of my chest as well, where that pressure was, the pain would kind of come and go. And it was sort of more dull than sharp. But, you know, the symptoms definitely seemed to be increasing both in the number of symptoms I was having and in their intensity. When did you really start to worry? (laughs) Well, um, it was Wednesday. That following Wednesday, I, I felt like my breathing was starting to get more labored. Like I was just having to work harder at getting air in. And I really, at that point, couldn't move around my home very much because I would get winded. And I'm, I'm a pretty in shape person. I exercise regularly. I'm, you know, I watch my weight, all my test results at my recent physical were excellent. So I'm, you know, I managed to get around just fine and not think about things most of the time. So to not be able to walk from the living room to the kitchen without losing my breath was slightly alarming. And the other thing that was really concerning me at this point was my 15 year old was also getting worse. And a couple friends of mine who also had COVID, they had started about a week ahead of me. They live on the East Coast, so they were part of that earlier curve than we were experiencing here. Both said, oh, you're, you're 15 will be fine. You know, she won't really get any symptoms at all because kids aren't getting symptoms. And she was almost as sick as I was. And that, that was probably worrying me more than my own symptoms. When I put her to bed that Wednesday night, she was having a hard time breathing. But she said, I'm okay, mom. I'm okay. I'm getting a breath. I'm fine. But then I woke up the next morning and for myself, the breathing was hard. And I realized that while I was still getting my lungs full of air, like I was sharing with you, I really didn't feel like I was getting enough oxygen. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I kind of had a brain fog going on. I wasn't unaware of what was going on or showing any of those signs of confusion, but I definitely felt like my cognitive abilities were slowed down. I wasn't thinking as quickly. I was having a hard time finding words for things sometimes. So that had my attention. But as the day progressed that Thursday, I realized I was yawning a lot. So every minute or two, I was yawning to get enough air into my lungs and feel like I was getting enough oxygen. And and that became more frequent. Did you ever, Melissa, think that you should call 911 or try to get somebody to bring you to the ER? Did that cross your mind? Oh yeah, it did. And I was, I had two big hurdles to that. One was, well, first of all, I had run into a a situation very early on where I was feeling kind of short of breath. I think it was maybe the second day of the virus. And I called the nurse line and I said, I've been presumed positive with COVID. So I have shortness of breath, which is one of the symptoms. And I just want to check in with somebody about it. Well, they stop you right away at least in my experience, they stop you right away and say, you have shortness of breath. Uh Uh-huh. How long has this been going on since yesterday? Do you have any pain or pressure in your chest? Uh Uh-huh. You need to call 911. I said, well, I I don't need to call 911. (laughs) I have COVID and these are symptoms of COVID and I I can breathe. I'm just short of breath. Well, you need to call 911. And they kept saying, we're not going to talk with you anymore about how to treat your symptoms or anything like that because our protocol is to tell you to call 911. And and I got to tell you, Kathy, I right away, I just thought that's the last place I want to be. It was sort of almost an ironic joke of, why do I want to go to the hospital? That's where the sick people are. (laughs) Right, right. But I also was concerned, really, truly, I I don't want to, 
I don't want to give this to anybody else. And I know that the first responders and the folks at the hospitals are equipped to treat people with all kinds of illnesses, including this one. But I was really, really, really worried about going in somewhere and possibly passing this along to somebody else. So anyway, that Thursday, yes, I did start to think, okay, I, boy, I might have to call. But the other thing that was really holding me back, and this is my own personal circumstances are my two girls are now with me. I share custody of them with their dad and their dad has some health issues that make him a higher risk individual. And he shares a living space with his parents who are very high risk individuals. So when this started for me and my older daughter right away, their dad and I realized that they were going to have, we were all going to have to quarantine together as you're supposed to do. But that also meant they were not going to be able to go back to his home as part of our schedule, our parenting schedule. But this also meant then in this space, if I have to go to the emergency room and I get admitted to the hospital, oh God, I'm going to choke up. What's going to happen to my kids? They're too young to stay home more than, you know, a day. And um, we have COVID. Where are they going to go? They can't go to their dad. My father lives about an hour away in my hometown. He's in his mid-70s. He can't come. He's high risk. I can't. Who do you call? I, at that point, I didn't know anybody else with COVID. <laughs> I guess maybe that was the answer. Find someone else with COVID and have them come and stay with your kids. I, I didn't know what to do. So I, I, I didn't do anything. I laid on my sofa and I was like noon, one o'clock. And I laid on my sofa and I watched my kids at the kitchen table and they were working on an art project together and the sun was coming in the wind. It was really beautiful and idyllic. And I laid there and I looked at them and I thought, Oh God, I'm, I, what happens if I can't breathe? What happens? But I was, I was just so scared to do anything for all the reasons I just shared with you. And just like, I couldn't admit that I was actually having this moment of what if I stop breathing? So I laid on the couch. I, I repeated a sort of a, a mantra of sorts in my head that I learned to help deal with anxiety, uh, which I learned from a very good friend of mine named Dr. Rudy Tanzi, who is a neuroscientist. And the mantra is, I'm okay right now. And there's only right now. And he gleaned it from Hindu teachings, actually. And he wrote about it in a book that he wrote called Superbrain. But I just laid on my sofa and repeated over and over again. I'm okay right now. And there's only right now. And I just kept telling myself as long as I can breathe. And as long as I can think that thought, I am okay, because I'm alive and I'm breathing and I can see my children. But I kept taking these deep breaths and I got more and more worried about what was happening because it was getting worse. Mm. And I don't know, somewhere in my head, I just decided that going to the emergency room was, how do I put this? I can't put any more plainly that I was convinced that if I went to the emergency room, went to the hospital, I would die there. That it wasn't, that it wasn't a path to healing. It was sort of an admission that this was what was going to kill me and that I wouldn't come out of it. Well, and Melissa, I mean, there have been, of course, stories of people who have been sick, they've gone to the ER mm -hmm. and they've been admitted and they've died there. So I can maybe yeah. understand what you were thinking. Yeah. You know, Kathy, that's probably exactly where it was, was just hearing these stories of you go to the hospital, you get put on a ventilator and you just don't come off it. So I just thought that that to me was sort of like throwing in the towel and I wasn't going to do that. So you have not been confirmed. Nope. And I hmm. won't be. 
at least at this stage of the game. You know, those horrible stories coming out of New York and other places of individuals who have gone to the ER and large hospital systems are saying to people now, before you go to the ER, have an advanced care directive with you because you're going to go in alone. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, do you have a directive? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I'm laughing right now, smiling very big and, and laughing at myself because that is one of the things that when I, when I first was told that I was presumed positive with COVID, I thought, oh my God, my dad's going to kill me. I have not done my will. I have not done my advanced care directive. I don't have power of attorney set up. I haven't done any of these things that I'm supposed to do. And I thought, oh my gosh, here I am. I'm really sick with something that has been killing people and I don't have this ready. And wow. <laughs> and I'm way too tired to deal with it now, you know? So I'm actually getting that done like right now. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. But it's funny, you know, those things you think about and he had been saying, cause I, you know, I, I'm a single parent. He's been asking me, will you please get these documents done? Because, you know, someone has to look out for you and that person's going to be me. And I want to make sure that I know what your wishes are and where all your documents are located and all that stuff. Please get these things done. Yeah, 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 Dad, I'm busy. I'll get to it. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. This whole story you're telling us, mm-hmm. it just sounds like you really were put through the ringer with this illness. And I'm curious, how has this brush with a very serious mm-hmm. illness changed, if at all, your view of your mortality? I'm betting you probably had an opportunity to think about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've always been that I've been this way since I was probably about 10 years old, where I I probably think about death more than other people my age and circumstances do. But yeah, it got very real, I think is maybe the difference. You know, you can think about what does it all mean? Where do I go when I die and all that stuff that I think, you know, we all think about or, or, you know, seek answers to. But when it stares you in the face, I kind of found myself going between, you know, really thinking about it and then just trying not to think about it and trying not to let it stress me out in terms of especially these details about like, oh, geez, I don't have this paperwork done that I need to have taken care of, but I can't do it right now because I just don't have the energy. Oh my gosh. I mean, the lack of energy was like the worst part of this virus for me was just, I couldn't move and just didn't have any energy for anything. So thinking about my responsibilities to my children, my family, that they weren't in place was really stressful. I think though, it it just sort of solidified some things for me in terms of, you know, where am I at in my life? And what do I still want to do? And what are the things that matter, really matter? And I know that sounds sort of glib and almost sort of, eh, you know, Hallmark Hardy, but really thinking about what time do I still have left? What are the things that I haven't done? Just really tuning into my world around me, my kids, things that make me feel that I'm passionate about, that I'm curious about, that I'm interested in really came to the fore. I have to say, I've enjoyed the downtime that has come with everyone staying home and things kind of shutting down not having the pressure of feeling like I got to run off and do things. You know, we all do that. You get sick and then you have your own little version of illness FOMO where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not feeling well and I'm missing out on all these things that are going on around me and I can't do anything about it because I'm sick, but I'm still missing out. And there's sort of a, it's probably, it's selfish to a certain degree, but I'm not missing out on anything (laughs) because everything's been canceled. (laughs) You didn't have COVID FOMO, did you? Really? Is it Como? Is it, (laughs) what is that called? Um, COVID FOMO. Oh my gosh. But you know, there was something interesting that happened. So, so I kind of quickly got through the FOMO, right? Because 
everything's been stopped. But there was sort of a weird, yeah, COVID FOMO of when this all started, you know, it's all people are talking about, oh, I've got all this time to be at home and I'm going to clean my house and I'm going to do all these projects that have been sitting there. I might even do that thing I've been wanting to do. Like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a song. I'm going to do all this great stuff. And when I spend two, three, four weeks not feeling well and shut down while feeling like, you know, everyone around me is still, oh, we're, you know, trying to uh, distance learn from home and we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, everyone, everyone is still, everyone is still running at full speed. They're just doing it in their house and they're going to be doing all these things that I said I was going to do. And I'm going to come out of this, not having accomplished anything and everyone else is going to have gotten there you know, stuff together and poop in a group, whatever you want to call it. And I'm not going to have that. And then I, I, I messaged a couple of girlfriends and they were like, are you girl, are you kidding me? <laughs> it sounds, it sounds like you have made some pretty significant changes that you did some serious thinking that the rest of us might not have Maybe. done at this point. Maybe. Yeah. You Maybe. know, one friend, she's like, she said, listen, when we're not trying to keep our kids from, you know, killing each other. We're all on Facebook. <laughs> We're not doing anything. <laughs> it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah. People of course want to know, I can hear your voice and it sounds like you're just a little, uh, got a little something in those lungs. Am yeah. I right about that? Yeah. yeah. So as you and I are having this conversation right now, I am on day 29. Wow. Yeah. So that was, <clears throat> yeah, here it comes. Where I am at personally with this journey is I've been progressively getting better, although it is truly, and I've now know three other people who are experiencing COVID. For all of us, it's like two steps forward and a step and a half back kind of each day where you feel like you've made ground. And then the next day you've lost almost all of that except one little step. It's, it's long the friend that I mentioned on the East Coast who was ahead of me, he's still dealing with it. He's seven weeks dealing with symptoms. Wow. Yeah. And of course, it's unique as things are for people. You know, how, how badly does it affect you? How long does it take? I got to say, I'm kind of surprised though, because, you know, like I said, I, I'm, in, I'm in pretty good shape. I exercise regularly. I take care of myself. And I really thought, well, you know, it's, and they say it's 14 days, you know, you're quarantined for 14 days and then you should be able to move on. And I'm double that <laughs> right now. And I still, I'm a little wheezy in my chest. I still have some of that pressure in the center of my chest that has never gone away. It's gotten slowly easier, less but it's there. And I just have like a ball in my chest of what it feels like gunky congestion. And I'm hoping that that will work itself out soon. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you plan at some point to maybe get yourself checked out again? And I asked that question because I'm wondering about any long-term effects on your lungs or something like that. Yeah. I'm curious about that. I guess I'm not terribly worried about it just because I don't feel like, like I haven't been doing any really harsh, heavy coughing. Like I had pneumonia back when I was in high school and I did have some lung damage from that. But I also recall from that, I was coughing so hard that it just, the pain was practically unbearable and I had to use an inhaler and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I have an inhaler now just for, for rescue breathing for, you know, when the breathing was bad back on day eight, but I don't really feel like I don't know. I just don't feel like there's anything there. I Maybe I should get it checked out. But I think right now too, it's just a matter of getting through it, getting over it. What I'm more curious about is being able to participate in the testing they'll be doing now to see if you have antibodies. 
because you've gone through so much. I mean, anyone listening to this would say, yeah, she's she had COVID or has COVID. With the antibody tests that are being done right now, is there any way that you can participate in that? Well, so initially there was there was a call for people to help them develop it. And so they were looking for people who had COVID because then therefore they expected them to have antibodies. And they would gather plasma from these folks then to help make these tests and to make maybe even develop a vaccine. And here's where the kicker comes in. Because I was never confirmed with a test, and I was never confirmed with a test because there weren't enough tests and they weren't doing tests on people, I cannot participate in the study because I was never confirmed. So Mm. while I will be the person who benefits from these tests to find out if I have antibodies, I can't actually help find out if I had it or not. I was hoping maybe they would actually test me to say, oh, yes, you do have COVID. And yes, then we can work with you. But they said, no, we're not testing people. Seems like every time I turn a corner, I get told we're not testing. We're not testing. What a saga. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, you've had what, almost a month now of this, mm-hmm. and you're a very thoughtful person. Are, are there any lessons? What are some of the underlying lessons here for you? Um, I think that there's something really great about what's happening in our communities, being in the state of Minnesota that people are taking this seriously, that they're being thoughtful about themselves and the ramifications that their own actions have on other people. For us in this circumstance, it is, um, gosh, I, I don't want to cause any harm. And I could cause great harm if I go outside, if I interact with other people at all at this point. We don't know how this virus acts. We don't know, you know where it gets left, how long it lasts there, how far it carries when you're outside and the wind blows. So we're inside. And something else that really, really great that's come out of this is just the overwhelming support that we've had from friends, family, acquaintances, neighbors, and oftentimes, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would relate to this on some level, it sometimes comes from the least expected corners of your life. And that's been a gift. And not only for me, but for my kids to really experience what it's, it's just, it's love in action. It's love in motion that people who you don't see often, we don't spend a lot of time with, we care about each other. We keep up with each other. What do you need? What can I do? And I can't even give them a big hug to say, thank you. I have to wave at them through the glass of my storm door from my own little home jail. Um, (laughs) and they put the bags down on the step and they walk to their car and then I open the door and I wave at them and I bring the stuff inside. But there'll be someday you'll be able to give them a hug. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, like my, my 15 year old said, and by the way, she had her bad day the day before I did. She did tell me afterwards. So I, I put her to bed on a Wednesday night and she wasn't breathing well. And she told me later, she, oh, sorry. She said to me, she was afraid she wouldn't wake up in the morning, but she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want me to worry. And, um, so I hope, I think coming out of this, my own children, they're going to be, they're already pretty strong, resilient young women. But, um, I think that this will hopefully they, they take from this even more resiliency, but also compassion and um, appreciation for the things we have in our life, how lucky we are for our health, for all those people who love us and will do whatever we ask. I mean, I've needed medicine. I've needed, I needed a, a meter to check my oxygen levels. I've, what, 
you know, I, we've turned people away. You know, I don't need anything. Thanks for checking in because we've been so well tended to. I'm glad you are feeling better and that your daughter obviously too is feeling better and that you are sounding on the way, on the path toward healing, which is great. Yes. And I'm very lucky that way. You know, you read the stuff about illness and mindfulness and people say, oh, I can't complain. Other people have it worse than me. And that may or may not be true. I like to say, well, yours is yours. You get to own that. And (laughs) I feel really lucky. You asked if I would check in to see if I have any lingering effects. I might. I think I'll wait and see once I can get back to exercising. Am I breathing okay? You know, do I feel like I have any residual effects from this? I don't expect that there will be. I'll pay attention to it. But wow, the fact that I can go through something like this and come out of it on the other side, relatively unscathed. My daughter is great. She's been, you know, normally healthy for a couple weeks now. And and my 10-year-old never showed any symptoms at all. We're assuming that she has it or had it, carrying it maybe, but she never showed a symptom. So the fact that we can go through something that at some point was just about as harrowing as something can get and walk away from it is really just a gift. And I feel really, really lucky. And I'm really, really grateful. Melissa, you have been so kind to spend time with us being so generous. And uh, your story really is riveting. And and we're so glad that you're, that you're getting better. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for asking. And thanks for uh, being interested to hear what this weird thing is. (laughs) is like. And I hope that this is as close as you get to it. That's Melissa Jones from Minneapolis, Minnesota, who has spent more than a month battling COVID-19. She mentioned that she does not have an advanced care directive, but plans to get one done. In our next episode, we'll talk to an emergency room doctor about the need for an advanced care directive, especially now. Thanks to ABC 13 News Houston, KMOV-TV St. Louis, and WCCO-TV Minneapolis-St. Paul for the audio. This has been Living With the End in Mind, the COVID Conversations. I'm Kathy Worzer. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay curious. <laughs>